Thanks for being here tonight, and uh, let's have another word of prayer this evening. Father, we are so eager to study your word. We're so eager, Lord, to learn. And tonight, this is a challenging passage, Lord, and as a young Christian, this really bothered me, this passage. And so I pray that you'll give us wisdom, you'll give us understanding, and it all comes by the precious anointing of your Holy Spirit, for it's in Christ's name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Mark chapter 3 and verse 20. And Jesus came home, and a multitude gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. Now in the Greek, that is really emphasized right there. It's like an exclamation. It's like they couldn't even eat a meal. And that's a pretty big deal in Jewish culture. It's a pretty big deal at my house. And when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, his family. For they were saying, he has lost his senses, or he's lost his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub, and he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. And there, there's this emphasis again. And he calls them to himself, and he began, the, 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 the scribes, he calls them to himself, and he began speaking to them in parables. And he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Verse 28, you've heard this scripture. You've probably wondered about this scripture before. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers arrived, standing outside, and they sent word to him and called him. Well, Father, we love you, we thank you, we ask you now, God, give us acute understanding of this, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing I'd like to talk to you this evening about is, let's go back to verse 20. Jesus came home and he couldn't even eat a meal. And what you have going on here is his family, his brothers aren't believing in him. And it's kind of difficult, especially after we read the Luke narratives of the birth of Jesus, when we read Matthew and Luke together and we see what the angels have said, what the angel of the Lord has said to Mary, what he said to, to, to Joseph, but his own brothers, they don't believe in him. And I want you to see this from a loving way. They're coming because they love him. They're coming because they care about him. This is not mean. And this is a forcible word. They've come to force him to come back home. They feel like he's lost his mind. Why would you give up a good job? Why would you allow yourself? Food was scarce in Israel at this time. And the fact that he couldn't even eat a meal, that said volumes to them. Word was getting out about what Jesus was doing. And I guess they were thinking, and now this is me just kind of reading in between the lines. I guess they were thinking Jesus was believing his own press releases. And so they came to get him. My father decided to run away from home when he was a young man. He joined some migrant workers, left the farm, joined some migrant workers, and my grandmother sent his brothers after him. 
and uh, I'm so glad they found him. And when my uncle on found him in Virginia picking apples and living in a migrant camp, um, this is for my dad gave his heart to Jesus. Um, he wouldn't come back. As a matter of fact, when Uncle Lon was, and he, Uncle Lon was a big man, and Uncle Lon was going to force Daddy to come home, and Daddy said, Lon, we will fight. I am not going back. I'm making my own way. And the men in that migrant camp gathered around him and said, Buford, if we had a family that loved us the way your family loves you, that they have searched to find you, there's no way we would live in this camp. We would go back home to the farm. And that touched my dad's heart, and that's how he came back to the farm. And, and you know the rest of that story if you're part of Woodland, because I talk about my dad a lot. Well, that's what Jesus' brothers were doing. They were coming to force him to come back home because they didn't believe in him yet. As a matter of fact, you'll see later in the book of John, they still, it took a while for them to really come to terms with who Jesus was. It wasn't that they didn't think he was kind. It wasn't that they didn't think he was good. It wasn't that they didn't think that he knew the word. They knew that he was doing miracles. The rumors about him were spreading everywhere. They just could not understand this concept that he was the son of God. They even had heard, remember we talked about this last week, he had a boat out on the lake waiting to scoot him away in case the crowds got too big. They were concerned. The, we, the passage just before this tells us how the crowd is pressing in on Jesus. And it's kind of a lot like the charitable way and the kind way that people speak about Jesus who don't believe in him as Lord and Savior. I meet people all the time that tell me, I like Jesus. I think he was a good man. I think he was a wise teacher. I think, I just like Jesus. I just don't believe he's God. I'm thinking of a man named Pete that I visited week after week after week as he was dying. Uh, Pete had been, his name had been given to me, and so I, I knew that he was dying, and I went to meet with him and talk with Pete, and, um, and Pete was a good, hardworking man, good man, good husband, good father, always been faithful, and I remember asking Pete how things were with him and God, and he goes, everything's good with me and God, and he began to tell me about his life and the good works that he'd done, and so finally I just said to Pete, I said, Pete, what do you think about Jesus? Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? And Pete said to me, no, I don't really believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I've never committed my life to him. And so week after week, I would talk to Pete about Jesus, and, and I ended up doing his funeral for him, but he never crossed the line. And I would come home just weeping in the car because Pete had this idea that Jesus was a good man. But he never committed himself to Christ. Charitable, loving, good, kind. Pete helped with things that I asked him to help with. Matter of fact, Pete probably did more financially for some of the things that we were doing than some of the people in the church did because he was just a charitable and a kind man. But he never committed his life to Jesus. And I would say to those of you who are listening tonight or maybe you're listening later, who do you say that Jesus is? Because that's very important. He was more than a teacher, and I, I deal with this all the time. I'll be meeting with a group of guys tomorrow here locally that some of them will tell me this very same thing about Jesus, that he's good, he's kind. But who do you say he is? When Jesus makes his claim to be the Son of God, 
we really have to take that seriously and think that through. But then there's a second group of people that their opinion about Jesus is totally different. They've come, the scribes, and you need, maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this, but if you go to Woodland, you've heard me teach on this, the scribes were very educated. They were educated in the law. They were educated in the prophets. They were also educated in the wisdom literature. They knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They were the ones that would come along and would judge whether something was biblical or not. And they come down to Capernaum because it seems like, if you read, as we've read Mark, Capernaum is just taken with Jesus. And so they come down to assess. Uh, somebody called me today and they were saying, I'm going to, to uh, a, a certain store. And I said, for what? And they said, well, they were wanting me to tell me about they were getting some metals assayed or they're getting assessed to see if they were pure, if they were genuine metals, coins that they had been given. And so as I was talking to them, we were talking about the purity and they're hoping it's 99.9% pure. And so they come down to check out what was going on in Capernaum. But what's interesting, as we've read, you've seen how some people have come and talked with Jesus. These guys didn't talk with Jesus at all. They came with their minds made up about who Jesus was. And they saw Jesus delivering people, but they said of him, he's doing this by Beelzebub. He's doing this, he's like a sorcerer in black magic. And, and the emphasis in the Greek there is like, they're saying he mutters Beelzebub under his breath. It would be like if I was praying for someone, and instead of praying in the name of Jesus, I'm praying to Satan. That, that, that's who Beelzebub was. And so they're accusing Jesus of these things. Now, they're not charitable at all. I mean, they're really accusing Jesus of being demonic. They're accusing Jesus of casting out devils by the devil. But then Jesus stops like he always does, and he tells a parable. And in this parable, he talks about a strong man and a kingdom divided against itself. He said that if a kingdom's divided itself against itself, it, it's going to fall. It's the same illustration that Abraham Lincoln used during our own war between the states when he said, a nation or a people, a house divided against itself cannot stand. A church divided against itself, a community divided itself. It's part of what I fear that's happening in our United States right now is there's such polarization that we're, we're tearing ourselves apart as a country and as a nation. And so Jesus speaks to this and he says, a kingdom divided against itself. If Satan is casting out Satan, then his kingdom is bound to fall. But then he says, what's happening is a strong man is entering the devil's house and he's plundering that house. And what he's saying is that the house of Satan is the people that are under his control. The people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. The people who haven't given their lives to him. He says, the strong man, his kingdom, his house is made up of people who have rejected Christ or don't know God. It's like if I was to say of the house of, and called your name out and we talked about your children and your grandchildren, that's your house, that's your family. And Jesus says what he's done is he's come in 
And by delivering these people, he is plundering the straw man's house. He's delivering them. The book of Colossians will say it's like moving them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How many of you have experienced that? About half of you have experienced How many of you have experienced that, where God has moved you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Every one of us have, I hope. And the reason you have is because Jesus invaded the devil's house, and he moved us by his grace and through faith in his name, he moved us into the kingdom of light. And then he says something that is just so startling that we just need to talk about. And he says those words that I can guarantee you almost everybody knows because it's probably one of the most asked questions I get. What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? How many of you ever heard about that verse before? More of you raised your hands there than you'd given your heart to Jesus. There's something wrong with you folk tonight. We've all heard of that verse. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit that they're not going to be forgiven. This is the eternal sin, as, as the Greek would look. It's the, the sin that won't be forgiven. Well, what does that mean? So people ask me a lot, says, Pastor, I'm afraid I've committed that sin. And I tell them, if you're afraid that you've committed that sin, you've not committed that sin. I said, because this sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not murder, it's not adultery, as heinous as that is. It's not, it's not robbing. It's not pillaging. Uh, I'll even go as far as to say this, and, it's, this is, and I, it pains me to say it. It's not even genocide. Because anyone can be forgiven of their sins. But when you begin to accuse God of being the devil, when you begin to accuse the Lord of being the devil, when you begin to accuse him, then you're moving into that place where your heart is hardened and you can no longer respond to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. The scribes hadn't gotten there yet. Jesus hasn't said they committed, but he says anyone who does this. Now that tells me something else because I've been doing this a long, long time. There's a much heavier judgment on people who are pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and people like you who've been exposed to the Word and set under the Word. It's not just pastors. And it's not just evangelists or missionaries or apostles or whatever, but people who've been exposed to the Word, and then suddenly they refuse the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they refuse to acknowledge what God is doing, they refuse to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is, and they credit the devil with that, and they begin to say all kinds of manners of things about God and his people that just aren't true. And so there's a thin line between Sometimes discerning and sometimes judging and then making up our mind that this is of the devil. We cannot accuse the work of the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus doing? He's healing the sick. He's casting out devils. He's feeding the hungry. 
He's meeting people where they're at. He's preaching the good news of the kingdom. But the scribes who should know, and that's the theme that seems to be running in the first opening parts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The people who should know, who've studied the word and read the word, they're the ones that aren't recognizing who God is. That's why Jesus, now listen, this is important. That's why Jesus said the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the Gentiles are closer to the kingdom than some of you are talking about his own people, the Jewish people, and the scribes and the Pharisees. How can that be? The woman working the streets, the thief, the scoundrel, because they were listening to Christ and they were trusting Christ, even though they didn't have a very religious background, they were listening to Christ and they were trusting Christ. And people who knew the word and should have recognized the work of the Holy Spirit were rejecting Christ. And I think that's a huge message for us today because we can get very comfortable so we come to these two opinions about Christ and to my friends and some of you I know who, who listen on Wednesday nights and, and um, you haven't come to know the Lord yet. Let me just say this to you. C.S. Lewis was right. You can't say that Jesus was a good man. You can't say that Jesus was a wise teacher even though he did good things and taught good things and yet claim to be God. And as Lewis said, he's either a lunatic whose mind is no more than a poached egg, or he's a liar, or worse yet, he's a deceiver. One historian who lived a number of years ago, Philip Schaff, Philip Schaff studied the life of Jesus carefully, and, it's a, and he's a well-known, renowned historian. But Philip Schaff said about Jesus Christ, here is a man that in the face of the prejudice of his own people, the accusations of his own people, here is a man that taught the purest gospel, lived the highest moral life, and was willing to die and give his life for others. How could you say that he is anyone but God? And so you come to terms, you're not really being kind to Jesus to say he's a good man, but he's not Lord. I'll tell you another story, and this one was my wife. who seen Becky weep night after night for a boss that she had when she was working for the continuing education department for our local college. He was a retired Air Force colonel, good man, and when he was diagnosed with cancer, it was about the time that Becky came to work for him. She would share Christ with him and witness to him and Finally, one day he said to Becky, he says, Rebecca, I know that you care about me and I know that you believe this, but it's too late in life for me to change now and to give my life to Jesus. That would be hypocritical. And Becky broke out in tears and looked at him and says, Colonel, it's never too late to confess Christ as your Savior. And the Colonel went to his grave respecting Jesus saying he was a good man, but dying and going into a Christless eternity. 
I would say to you what I'd said to Pete, what Becky said to Colonel, it's not enough to say he was a good man. He's either Lord or liar or lunatic, as C.S. Lewis said. And you have to make that decision. But on the other hand, when it comes to the second opinion about Jesus, beloved, it is so important that when we go into the world long before we begin to sow in words, we begin to sow into people's life what Jesus did. We begin to sow love and acceptance and kindness and goodness. We let them see the difference that Christ has made in our lives. We let them see what he's done for us and in us. And then that gives us the privilege of speaking into their lives after we've built the relationship with them to talk to them about Jesus Christ. Because so many of them are convinced today, especially with what's going on in Isaiah, and I believe it's in chapter 5, I, I could be wrong, but if not, just Google this phrase and you'll find it, you know, woe to them that call, you know, light darkness and darkness light. Isaiah warns us of a time that's coming where people will call the truth a lie and will call the lie a truth. And we're living in that very dark time in our culture right now where the truth is constantly there's shade being thrown on the truth. Constantly there are people saying that, that the church is, is not representative of who Christ is. And we are not. We are imperfectly representing who Christ is. But it's not going to let you off the hook in eternity if you talk about the mistakes of the church and the crusades. It's not going to let you off the hook if you talk about the mistakes of the church and colonialism. It's not going to let you off the hook because it's not what the church has done. It's who Jesus Christ is. And so Jesus would say to people like me, like he would to the scribes, to be careful, to be sure that not only preach the truth, but live the truth. Can somebody say amen to that? That's what gives us credibility in this world because truth will always overcome a lie. Light will always overcome darkness. So I'm not worried about this time when light is being called darkness and darkness is being called light and when truth is being called a lie and a lie is being called truth. I just know that in time, the truth will prevail. Becky told me tonight, as we were driving in from Traverse City, she said, do you remember that old episode? And she called out a television program where everybody was upset about this new fad coming along. And Grandpa let his newspaper down. He says, look, I've lived a long time. Y'all quit stressing about it. It's going to fade. And he put his newspaper back up. You see, a lie will always eventually consume itself. Let's focus on our confession of faith of who Jesus is. Now, one more thing. If you look at what Jesus said, and we're going to look at the continuing story of this next week, but if you look at what Jesus said, the strong man plunders the devil's house. If you look at that, the most sane thing you can do is to give your heart to Jesus. His brothers thought he'd lost his mind. Let's go back so you can just see. I want you to catch this. Go back to verse 20. 
He came home, the multitude gathered again to such an extent they could not even eat it. He could not even eat a meal. When his people heard it, this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. In other words, he's lost his mind. The most sane thing you can do is to give your heart to Jesus. If he is Lord, look at me, don't miss this. If he is Lord, if he is plundering the kingdom of darkness, if he is saving people from their sins, then Jesus is the sanest man in the story. And Paul is the sanest man when he says that powerful passage in the book of Romans, present yourselves as living sacrifices that you might prove what is the good and the perfect will of God. That's the sanest way to live. The most insane thing to do is to reject Jesus Christ. There was a man in the Old Testament named Nebuchadnezzar. He denied the Lord. He took credit for everything that had happened in his kingdom. He lost his mind, and he says of this, when I regained my senses, I praised the God of heaven. The most sane thing you can do is to give your life to Jesus, and sanity increases as you grow as a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you this evening. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you for this word. I thank you for this passage from the book of Mark. I thank you, Lord, that you're not afraid to face the challenges that people throw at you. Instead, you just continue to preach, to save, to heal, to deliver, to do what is needed. Tonight, Lord, help us all to do the most sane thing in the world, and that's commit our lives to you. Friend, I really feel checked in my spirit right now. You may not be a follower of Jesus. Listen, the most sane thing you can do is commit your life to Christ tonight. And you will find as you commit your life to Christ and you follow Christ, your sanity will grow. Your maturity will grow. So would you pray this prayer with me right now? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are who you said you are. You are the Son of God, and you came to set me free from my sin. Open my eyes. Open my ears. Open my heart that I may see and believe. And tonight, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, and I ask you to bless and to lead my life. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you. If you pray that, please let me know. You can let us know at the numbers that are coming up on the screen tonight or just email me right here at info at woodland.church. I'd love to communicate with you and help you get started in your life with Christ. It doesn't matter where you live or where you're at. Just give me a, drop me an email and let me know. God bless you. Good night. Thanks for joining us this evening.